Hello, and welcome to the Anime Explorations Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Tora. I'm David. All right, and so um, this is technically the first podcast of the new year with the regular cast. Last month, we had a special guest, Tom Merritt, of the Sword and Laser Book Club podcast, among many other things. Daily Tech News Show and all that fun stuff, uh, where we talked about Season 2 of Thunderbolt Fantasy. Um, And we're healthy again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, um, so we did. So because of that, we also didn't get much of a time opportunity to talk about what's going on in the current anime season. So coming in a bit of a month late, what are you watching this season? <gasps> okay. Got a list. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we we were sick, so we we had a lot. Okay. So I watched uh, Tokyo Ghoul. Not not modern. Uh, caught up on Shangri La Frontier. I'm into the second season of Kaguya-sama: Love Is War. Uh, caught up on Mashal, loving its second season. Uh, Free Ren continues to be amazing. I started the strongest tanks labyrinth raids. Uh, it's it's I'll go and it, it's it, it's cute. Uh, solo leveling not cute. Uh, just so violent. Uh, <laughs> the wrong ways to use healing magic is great. Um, Delicious in Dungeon, also just super cute. Uh, a Returner's Magic should be special. And I tried three episodes of Blood Blockade Battlefront and decided it just was not for me. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so I watched Blood Blockade Battlefront for Anime Secret Santa uh, this past year. In fact, that does a review of it on my blog. I enjoyed it, um, but it's definitely... Like very much its own fun, chaotic mess kind of thing. Um, as far as this season stuff goes, I am also watching uh, Delicious in Dungeon and Free Rin and um, Solo Leveling. Solo Leveling may be a po- once we finish Thunderbolt Fantasy that may be a possible uh, or get um, uh, Lunar New Year show since they since while it's animated in japan it's an adaptation of korean work with a korean director so yeah um, <laughs> honestly like knowing that it's korean i was like you know i should check out the manhwa and i did and japan shows up and i'm like wow they're being really nice to japan given the whole history between those countries and oh yep there it is yeah japan are assholes i saw this coming but <laughs> Kind of used to some of that because I've also watched plenty of martial arts movies from back in the day. Oh yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, if you've watched Fist, watched Fist of Fury, when Japan shows up, they're assholes. Um, <laughs> when Fist, when Japan shows up in the um, uh, pro, not Project A, the uh, Armor of God series, same thing. Um, or some of the other uh, Jackie Chan movies, which is interesting. And we're also probably going to end up talking about at some point the Jackie Chan City Hunter um, uh, for a Lunar New Year um, episode. Stepping a bit into live action. Um, other stuff I'm watching, I am watching uh, Ravern, which is the very gay super robot anime. Cool. Um, which... Um, also, it's like really amusing. Like it's 
it is both like kind of a send up of like the Brave series of super robot anime, like Gao Gai Gar and that sort of thing. Because um, like, like the robots theme music is diegetic. Really? <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> I was just running around with their own theme music queued up and ready to play. It reminds me of Macross 7. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's ah. a lot of fun that way. Sometimes you just need to fight space vampires with the power of rock and roll. Yeah! Baba! All right. Just I also kind of watched a list. But <laughs> oh, yes, I, she has a separate list. I don't think my list is uh, super current, except for the isekais, right? So... I'm also watching Delicious in Dungeon, Free Rin, and The Wrong Way to Use Healing Magic. They're all great. We also watched all of Haikyuu, and now I know more about volleyball than I ever will need to know. We know more about <laughs> Japanese vo- volleyball. <laughs> I watched a couple of Slice of Life's. So I watched Barakamon, finally, which I, I really enjoyed. That with you. And then I watched a couple of like band band anime so i watched kono ototomare sounds of life which is about a koto club and that was great and i watched sound euphonium which was also great um if you're a if you're a band kid <laughs> absolutely watch sound euphonium you'll relate so hard um and then the the koto show was more like like, one of my favorite things in fiction is the found family trope, and that was all about that, and I, I loved it. And I finally got around to watching a couple romance anime. I watched Horamiya, which was as great as everyone said. And then I watched a boy's love anime called Daikaichi. I'm being harassed by the sexiest man of the year. And I'm kind of fascinated with the whole genre because it seems like it's marketed to women, but it's, 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 it's gay guys. It was also very racy for anime. I don't know. I enjoyed it, but I think there's like interesting psychological papers that could be written on the whole like category of boys love fiction and how it's marketed to women. Just interesting things to think about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cause like, um, like certainly like BL Dojinshi has been a thing since original Gundam. Um, there were plenty of Amuro Shar, um, uh, Dojinshi out there back in the day, apparently. Um, oh, uh, one other anime from this season that I'm watching is Metallic Rouge. I've seen it. I have not started it, but it looks interesting. Is it? It is interesting. It is very slow burn in terms of spelling out the, um, nature of the story, um, and the, uh, mystery behind what's going on. Which, considering the studio who's doing it, um, specifically that's being done by um, by Studio Bones, who was one of the ones that did a lot of like the the, the Yuri themed girls with guns with a big mystery lurking in the background shows from like back in the early aughts and the 2010s. That was a whole and, thing. <laughs> and that that and that this was this is their one of their this is a like a big anniversary show. It very much fits in with that. Um, also, it has the most on-the-nose fight music, like big fight music, in all anime. Um, uh, it's called uh, the piece of music is Crimson Lightning, and the first three, the first lines of the song are as sung by a big melodramatic choir. Heck yeah! The moment has arrived for fighting. There is no escape or hiding. 
Darkness will be broken open, shattered by the crimson lightning. Nice. <laughs> I like I, I appreciate that the This that, is early two thousands Tumblr poetry and I am here for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like like almost an if then statement. If the moment has arrived for fighting and there is no escape or hiding, therefore big fight must begin. <laughs> <laughs> Props. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta say what's going on. <laughs> uh, and the other thing we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, so there is between the last time we spoke on a podcast, we had a discotheque day, and with that discotheque day came the announcement that the 1997 Berserk anime has been licensed rescued. I'm so so happy. I I, I love Berserk so much. <sighs> it's it, it belongs to the genre of things for me that like I'm glad I experienced it, but I'm not sure I ever want to relive the trauma. <laughs> but the whole thing is overcoming your trauma. That is the entire. That is like well, it hadn't gotten that far when I was exposed to it. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that is the problem with the with the nineties with the ninety seven Berserk is that it does end on the single most depressing point of the manga. Like that is the low point from which everything builds itself back up. Yeah, like but, like yeah. to the credit of the um, Studio Four Celsius adaptation um, film adaptation which they later edited into a television series. Um, that one at least goes, okay, we're going to go a few steps further to the Black Knight coming in and busting out uh, Guts and Casca. And... and yeah, 97 Guts. doesn't have the Skull Knight. Yep. Um, and so... But on the other hand, the, the minus side is the... Studio 4 Celsius anime doesn't have the Black Swordsman bit at the beginning, which sets up that, hey, Behelots are bad. Not just that they're creepy, they're bad. Um, which sets up some like heavy foreshadowing when we see that Griffith has a Behelot. Yeah. Uh, we, at some point, we need to do an episode on Berserk. Yeah. You have things to say for sure. It, yeah, like it. I got to it at a very, like, formative time, but it's also one of those uh, manga that, you know, author existence failure. Mm -hmm. And they, they have confirmed, like, it's ongoing, but it's not the same. Yeah, like, like there are notes. There's the author having spoken to their friend, who is another mangaka, with where the plot is going to go. But like, yeah, that's definitely sense of like, and also like, Berserk is one of those works where like, if you don't know, you don't notice how like how shockingly in uh, influential it is. Um, with like, like the Dark Souls series exists because of Berserk. Um. There's references to Berserk in Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, there's 
Um, there have been multiple metal bands and rap artists who have done albums about Berserk. Uh, um, so much in Castlevania owes itself to Berserk. Yeah, it, like, it's... Uh, in the uh, in the Netflix anime, like they straight up reference the Berserker armor with uh, Striga's daylight armor. <sighs> yeah, it, it it it's very much a thing where it's like, if you haven't read Berserk before, you don't necessarily notice the references, but the moment you read it, you start going, oh, it's like when everyone goes, oh, is that a jo went went once the JoJo anime start got licensed, like oh. Those have been JoJo references I've been seeing for decades and not uh -huh. realizing. Um, and now in the same way, you have, like, like with Berserk, you people reading Berserk going, I have been seeing references to Tentaro Miura's work in all these things I like for, my, for decades of my life and haven't realized it. Um, and so, yeah. So I'm glad that the 1997 anime has had a chance to come back. Um, if I have any one complaints about the Berserk material that's, that is and is not available. Um, so I got managed to get a copy of the Berserk vinyl album, uh, soundtrack album. Shiny. It's a, it's a really good album. I like it a lot, but there is one track that is, that is missing from the album that bums me out. Mm -hmm. Forces isn't on the album. That's an interesting omission. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can understand not having the theme song, the opening and the closing because of rights issues and that sort of thing. And that's not internal soundtrack work. It's not composed by the same guy who did the rest of the soundtrack. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a odd omission. Um... But with that, um, speaking of things that are and are not admitted, let's talk a bit about uh, this week's show, Fate's Day Night. Man, yeah, speaking of things that are and are not admitted, this is the, the Fate series is one where you really have to take into consideration the adaptation choices that were made because a lot of us were unable to play the visual novel. We feel like the anime was our only exposure to it. Uh, specifically, I just want to point out, this is the 2006 Studio Dean adaptation mm -hmm. anime. Yep. And that actually is important for like this version for a lot of respects. Uh, was Rialto Nua out, that, that version out at this point? Not. Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. But right, it so was we... like just out. Okay. So like, it was like, good because like we, I was kind of wondering like, was there a version as good? The, the visual novel was originally as with uh, Tsukihime an adult work with sex scenes and that sort of thing. Um, with the Rialta Nua version, which I think is like the, I, the a level of remake that I don't think Tsukihime got until recently, the version which omitted the sex scenes entirely and rewrote that those plot elements to basically write around them. 
with various degrees of clumsiness. Um, but there, there uh, is another adaptation coming out sometime this year as well. Yes, yes, we're getting our first actual English release of the uh, original visual novel, and it is going to be the Rialton. Probably not the original. It's the well, yeah. edited it, it's, one. <laughs> it, it's the Rialton Nua re-release, which has kind of become the like official version because it's kind of what everything else has been adapting. Uh, and particularly since, like, as we talked about with um, Tsukihime, Nasu is notoriously bad at writing sex scenes. Um, and Rialta Nua omits the sex scenes. Um, to various degrees clumsily. of success. <laughs> yeah, in the various degrees of success. Um, which... And so, like, arguably, like, some people, like, yes, we have, like, fan service and like, some, you can tell where the, clearly where the sex scenes had been removed and replaced with something else. But it does have the sense of, like, okay, like, we don't have to deal with, I, I forget what the reward is for worst written sex scenes of the year in literature, <laughs> um, but we don't need to worry, we don't have to contend with, um, Kyoku, with Kanokunasu's attempt to compete for that competition um, in a visual novel form. And for, for anyone who is unfamiliar with the Fate universe, you know, it started out as porn with plot, but the writer was really only concerned with the plot, and everybody got so into it that it spawned an entire universe of more plot with occasional porn. And... <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it, it was more and more plot, and the fans supplied the porn. As happens so with actual media. Um. <laughs> that, that is true. It was like, the, 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 the fan doshinchi culture has very, like, fully adopted um, the Fate franchise in a lot of respects. Like, there is a, there was a recent poll that I saw posted on social media recently in terms of breaking down by age demographic and gender demographic various franchises in terms of anime, manga, and a little bit of Western pop culture as well. And, like, Fate's right in the middle. Men like it. Women like it. Has appeal among all age demographics. Um, which also means that you have, like, if, if what, no matter what type of uh, smutty fanfic you're looking for, it exists It'll for Fate. <laughs> like, you want... Um, uh, Kiritsugu and... Uh, Kiriko Tamine going at it. There's plenty of that. If you want het stuff, that's that. not even a reach. <laughs> yep. Like, canonically, they both have kids, too. <laughs> oh, they're, also, both so their kids are adopted. They both abandoned their kids. But if you don't, if you don't like the, the porn side, you can avoid it completely. It's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's plenty of stuff that is also not porn. Yeah. Um. Here, here's the thing with the Fate universe to me. It, it is a rabbit hole. Okay? It's a rabbit hole. Wild stuff is happening. The characters are well written enough that you are just pulled in along and you can kind of like, okay, wild stuff is happening, but I know X character is going to react to it in X way, causing X drama. It's all very clear on character motivation, which is awesome. 
even the mysterious characters, the way their their personalities are kind of unfolded to you, allows you to predict their reactions to things. But you will have questions. The more you watch, the more questions you will have. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. That that is that is uh, one of the issues associated with uh, the adaptations because the original visual novel did have three primary routes and a fourth that was removed. So it has three routes, each of which uh, revolves around one of the female characters, and all of the routes, with uh, with special exceptions of like specific scenes that are from another person's point of view, are all from the point of view of uh, Emiya Shiro, our protagonist. And the Studio Dean adapts the first route, first route referred to as the Fate Route. And which is about primarily Shiro and Saber, uh, his servant. In a and, weird magical sense, not in a literal. Yeah. <laughs> in a, uh, yeah. Okay, for those of you who have no experience with Fate, uh, Fate Stay Night is about the Fifth Holy Grail War, in which seven magi summon seven heroic spirits, uh, which are all of which with one uh, notable exception, uh, spoilers ahead, are heroes uh, are heroes from history. Uh, and just at this point, there will be spoilers, so if, you know, you want to check this out and don't want to be spoiled, uh, stop now. <laughs> but yeah, the seven heroes in um, Fate Stay Night are Hercules, uh, King Arthur, Cuchulain, uh, Medusa... <laughs> Uh, assassin. Assassin is. Can, is um. I, say, it's, I, I don't. I want to say. Um. So he, I, I, I I should know him because I have seen the uh, samurai Miyamoto Musashi movies because he's from that that story. Yeah. Um. He is. Uh. Um. Ah, here we go. Uh, Sasaki Kojiro, Kojiro. the the, uh, arch-rival of uh, Miyamoto Musashi. He's kind of Sasaki Kojiro. More spoilers. It doesn't matter. Continue. Um, And uh, Rin's servant, Archer, is in fact a future version of our protagonist, uh, Shiro Emiya. I also need to mention that all these characters um, relate to classes. Uh, yeah. Each giving a different set of abilities related to that class and describes how they fight. Um, those classes being Saber, Archer, Lancer, Rider, Caster, Berserker, and Assassin. The, um, oh, and first... Medea. She's the caster. I knew yeah. I'd forgotten one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and most of those are... Like, how they, what they do is generally pretty self-explanatory. Sabers are people who fight with swords. Archers use ranged weapons. Lancers use... Spears, <laughs> not ball arms. spears are other pole arms. Riders have a vehicle. Casters catch spells. Assassins are sneaky bastards. Well, and not, preser- not all riders have vehicles. Some of them have legendary steeds. Well, In the case are vehicles, of this one, yeah, which vehicles is the Pegasus. or legendary. Right, right. Vehicles or legend or legendary steeds. Um, and uh, assassins are sneaky bastards. Berserkers are root forces of nature. And subsequent material for Fate has added 
eight more classes, I think. Irrelevant to this discussion. Irrelevant. Yeah, we can't go down the rabbit hole or we'll be here forever. Yeah, they, they, they are irrelevant discussion. They will come, like, we will cover the some of the shows where those come up, like um, Fate Apocrypha, and we will discuss them at that time. <laughs> yeah. um, but Studio Dean primarily adapts the Fate uh, storyline with a few additions from Unlimited Blade Works, primarily for just characters who were kind of not did because there's an entire arc in here with uh caster and she basically shows up does evil and is then killed in the fate in the fate store uh line so she got some actual character development from another storyline thrown in because she was kind of one note archer shows up spouts a bunch of cryptic stuff helps shiro figure something out and then dies (laughs) you don't realize how important he is if this was your only exposure to him. <laughs> yeah. I, we get we get some teasers about yeah. like the, they, the, the, that but they, it's nothing it's nothing um spelled out explicitly. It's not where you can like put pieces together. Like there are mysteries that are fully explained and spelled out in the, the Unlimited Blade works and in the, the Heaven's Field route involving characters backgrounds and that sort of thing that are like when you like having come back to this series after having since then watched the Unlimited Blade Works adaptation and having watched the Heavens Feel movies, I came back to saying, "Ah, here are hints that they are laying down for in game terms when you go play those other routes, or in adaptation terms when you watch the adaptations of those routes." To explain, hey, there is a background, there's a connection between um, Sakura and Rin. And from back when they were kids. Um, and so there's, so like there's a whole bunch of hints spelled out where if you know already, they're telling, they're, they're giving you that information. But otherwise, it's setting, if it's laying a lot, of, a lot of clues that you will pick up on in the later route. Yeah. Uh, worth noting also is that while there were a lot of hints, to Archer's identity in this adaptation. This was this was still released at the point in time where Kanokonasu was Archer's identity is the big you know, the big secret of the franchise. So, it was not like explained anywhere else. Even the pseudo sequel uh fa- I want I want to point out that the first time I watched this show, mm-hmm. I I had no idea <laughs> about anything Fate-related, Nasuverse-related. I was going in completely clean. Um, You know, you follow along just fine. Like I said, the characters are very well detailed and fleshed out, and the drama is there, regardless of how much of the background lore you know. Coming back and watching it the second time, though, I was a little surprised at how many things they just outright gloss over or don't mention. Um, because the focus is very much on Shiro and Saber, you know, as it should be, as this is an adaptation of their route. But just so much stuff that you know from other routes is going on that don't get brought up or mentioned. Some background stuff about, you know, Kiritsugo and his past, Ilya. Um, it, it's, so <laughs> you're watching it and you can follow along just fine. But it's like there's this whole universe just sitting right outside the borders of what the adaptation chose to touch. I think that is both a strength and a weakness of the work. um, Because it is 
it's fascinating to go deeper after you watch the show and learn more stuff about the world. But then there were also a few points where I thought that without the necessary context, it's easy to become confused about why certain things happen, specifically why some things happen out of nowhere. Um, why people are doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Especially the kind of peripheral characters like Kirei, I would say, is a peripheral character right up until the very last episode or two. Yeah. Um, this Gilgi. is... <laughs> yeah, this is one of the issues of being an adaptation, is that the original visual novel is entirely, as, I, as with aforementioned exceptions, from Shiro's point of view. And there is that omniscient, you know, first-person view you get to see inside of his head. So a lot of the decisions he makes in the anime, where we can't see, you know, his thought processes, make him kind of look like an idiot or a sexist. He's just very pure of heart, dumb of ass in this adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Where in, like, in pre- in, but with that, uh, with that knowledge of what's going on in his head, it's not that he doesn't want his servant to fight because she's a girl. It's, I don't want anyone to get hurt because of me. It's, it, his, survivor's guilt is Shiro's driving force in the visual novel. Although, and it takes a bit also, to figure that out. Yeah, and he's also like not good at ex like emotionally expressing himself necessarily, but this but it, not necessarily in a he's not a good at expressing himself thing is very much a internalized social depict social masculinity issues thing. Mm. Um, yeah, that felt realistic to me. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I find interesting again, we're coming back to this show after having watched the other versions of the other routes is. This show cranks up the comedy a lot more than a lot of the other adaptations. Um, we get a lot more of, like, a ton more of um, Shiro's homeroom teacher, Taiga. Um, and we get lots of bits with, like, like more comedic reactions and comedically animated reactions to things. Like, there is a foot chase in partway through the show uh, in the school between... Shiro and Rin. I think this is one of the segments that is taken from Blade Works, where, um, like, in because I've seen the I talked about some like did a, a, a video review of these earlier, but like in the on, on my YouTube channel, um, in the later UFO table version when they have a similar sequence, it's all played very serious kinetic action that sort of thing, um, whereas this one it's like. Shiro leaps down a flight of stairs, takes the landing hard, gets a little comedic uh, pain ripples moving up him as he um, reacts to the landing and then keeps going. And then Rin does the same thing, and the same thing happens to her with the comedic pain ripples and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's cute. Um, yeah. I, I would, like, two-thirds of the series is, is fairly chill and fairly cute and fairly comedic, and then, like, the last three episodes, they bring the hammer down. <laughs> and, you know, to their credit, it doesn't feel super rushed or abrupt. Maybe just a little bit. Um, because, I mean, they clearly set all this stuff up beforehand. I guess I appreciate that the show takes its time in the, in the first two-thirds, letting you get to know the characters and what's going on. 
And this is a show that could very easily be about cool historical figures fighting each other. And it is, to some extent. I feel like a lot of people start watching it because of that. But um, it, it's the characters and their personalities and that really kind of pulls everything through. Like, some of the stuff that happens in, in the Fate universe is just wild. And you just go along with it because it doesn't matter. What matters is what the characters are doing with it and how they're reacting to it and how this changes them. Yeah. Th- this Basically, is... good writing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. This is not the route that has, like, the most characters with the servants. Except excepting Saber, of course. Most of the other servants are kind of sidelined in this. Sure. Uh, although, to be fair, I want to say in Stay Night, only really Saber, Archer, and Ryder, to an extent, get serious examinations of their characters. I think it's really just Saber in this show. Sa- yeah, Saber in the Fate yeah. Route, uh, Archer in Unlimited Blade Works, and then Ryder in uh, Heaven's Feel. Which I think really, works really well if this is the first time you're doing it, either in the visual novel you're doing this route first, or watching this anime first as an introduction to the show. Focusing on one makes sense. Because you've got seven magi, seven servants. Um, that's a lot of interpersonal relationships to parse. So focusing on a few of them is, is kind of a necessity, I feel. <laughs> and, like... I want to say that while the ufotable adaptations, and I think from this point on, they've handled all of the uh, Fate animations, are definitely a lot more dynamic. This is really the only one that you can go into cold. Like, with no knowledge of Yeah, the other two kind of assume that you have at least seen the Fate. Yeah, Fate Zero (laughs) assumes you know the story of Fate's Day Night. Uh... Unlimited Blade Works kind of assumes you watched Fate Zero, and Heaven's Feel assumes you watched uh, Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah, and to be fair to those other adaptations, while theoretically in the game you could go through those three routes in any order, you there is actually. A... In, oh. In Fate Stay Night, uh, there is a specific trigger that you get at the end of the Fate route. Which unlocks the op, which unlocks uh, a choice in uh, one of the scenarios to split off into uh, unlimited blade works, and then at the end there's a switch which unlocks an option to get into heaven's field. Yes, you can't. Like you can do fate any number of times that you want, but you can't do unlimited blade works until you've at least finished fate, and then heaven's field. Okay. All right. So that so that is that in in a lot of respects that fits with how how the story was intended. To be experienced in the first place, you are, mm-hmm. as a view, as a viewer or a reader of the visual novel, expected to go through the fate route first, yeah. and then expected to go through the, um, through um, unlimited brain works in heaven's feel, as opposed to the sort of classic choose your own adventure thing where there are theoretically a lot of big option, b- big branches in the tree that you could go in. Um, here it's, or even in uh, Sukihime where theoretically there's like a couple introductory routes that you can go on in the first, um, on the outside. You have to go through an outside route first before you do the inside routes. But but you still have a, like a couple different directions that can go before uh, to choose from, um, as opposed to having a, 
you do this route first, then this route, then this route. Let us take a moment to parse just how different this is from what has become the norm or the standard in Western video gaming, especially in big fantasy games. Like, let's use the infamous Mass Effect 3, for example. Let's use the Dragon Age games as an example. Where if there are romance options, romance routes, if you will, it, it is expected that you will be able to do all of them <laughs> from the get-go. And people will freak the heck out if you can't, if any of them are gatekept in any way, including making some of the characters have differing sexual orientations. <clears throat> I mean, I have thoughts on this, but I appreciate that in Fate, you know, it's, it's meant to be experienced a certain way. Um, and I think this is part of where it shows that Nasu was more interested in writing his story than he was in making it marketable with porn aspects, right? Because it, it's like, here's a bunch of cute romance interests, but you have to do this one first. And then maybe you can do this one. And then maybe you can do this one, but you have to read my story. <laughs> and you have to read it multiple times. Multiple and, times. And, and, and the other thing, like I think that's also like the big difference where you're running into something like a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age and that sort of thing. As a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age is also, this is an 80 plus hour game. Um, or even with like The Witcher, where like that is a game where if you do, if you try to do all, like Witcher 3, if you try to do all of the romance routes, you're going to get, the, you're, you're going to get none of them. Yep. But still, um, you are like, you are expected, like, like you're like, both of them are available from the get go um, for you to choose from, as opposed to, no, you are going to, you like, you have to, as like, if you did Witcher 3 in the Fate Stay Nice answer, you'd be like, okay, first time through, you have to go through, um, uh, right, the character's name just fell out of my head. Not Triss, the other one. Um, Jennifer? Jennifer. Like, you have to go, you have to go with Jennifer first. We and then, if you want to do, if, if you want to have her, if you want to go through, through Triss's storyline, you have to play through the Witcher 3 all the way through again. So all 100 plus. This has interesting effects on the fandom, too. Because, like, look at Baldur's Gate 3. The fans have divided into camps. There's yeah. the Starian girlies, Halston girlies, and guys. You know you know what I mean. Yeah. In, in Fate, everybody has to do everyone, so... <laughs> the way Halston like, wants it to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got to go through all the routes. you got to experience all the stories. So you have to... Um, so it, it, it creates a sense of, like... There is no like, like there are people who, like who definitely have a stance of like yes, Saber is best girl or Rin is best girl, but or, or Sakura is best girl. But you get to experience all their routes and all their stories, and I think that even carries over to some of the side works. Like when we started our sort of prototype um, Fatuary, Fate not 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 Fatuary prototype, but our, our initial sort of Fatuary prologue with um, today's menu for the Hemia family. Mm -hmm. That show takes the stance of the Amia family is all together, and it's it's almost presented in a way that's practically a where, where you don't even have to turn your head and squint at the idea of of um, Shiro, Rin, Sakura, and Saber as a polycule. They just made a polycule. Yeah, yeah. The, um, that show was like, let's just take let's just let's just adapt a fanfic. Go. <laughs> it's not exactly though. It, it it's more very pulls cute. from. Uh, the pseudo sequel to Fate uh, to Stay Night, which is Hollow Ataraxia, 
which is set six months later, and the assumption is all of the routes are canon. Just anything contradicting is sort of pulled out. Timeline shenanigans. Yeah, Hollow to Ataraxia is a four-day time loop. Fate, fate loves its timeline shenanigans. It's been six months. The Grail War is over. But all the servants are still around. Yeah, yeah, why not? (laughs) That that one's interesting, but also it's where most of, like, the extra... It's, like, where most of the characterization for uh, a good number of the servants actually comes from is from that. So if you were a first-time watcher of this show, you watch the show, you could be forgiven for thinking, okay, that was a nice little self-contained story, and it ended, right? There was an ending. (laughs) that's the thing it is self-contained and there is an ending you can stop there or you can like me try and look up the name of gilgamesh's sword on wikipedia and spend three hours reading random entries about things (laughs) if you're if you're like a type a personality like me and you like to have all your data lined up this series is 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 hard to parse that way just i'm sorry but it is doesn't mean I like it any less, but it does drive my brain a little nuts. <laughs> or you can just sit next to me and have me constantly pausing and explaining things. That even if they helpful. were not asked for. I'm not, not going to lie, it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also fun to watch this show as a history buff because of, you know, the references to history. Fun to watch it as a mythology buff for the references to different mythologies. Um, and they very cleverly write, (laughs) like, essentially from the get-go, they were like, yeah, no, these heroes don't have to be real people. (laughs) This is like... They're they're shaped both by the historical person, but also the tales that are remembered by humanity of these people. This is like collective unconsciousness bringing stories to life, which is awesome. For example, Hercules, probably not actually eight feet tall. And <laughs> with glowing red eyes. Well, the character design is a whole other discussion, but... It's worth talking a bit about character design, Saber. One of the things I appreciate is, like, Saber's armor? Practical. Practical oh my god, armor, she has god. a lobster claw gauntlet for her left hand and articulated fingers for the right. Thank because god. one needs a little more finer control than the other. She's wearing skirts, but she's also clearly wearing bloomers underneath because logic. (laughs) And also, like, the skirts are done in kind of way where it will work when and protect her legs when riding a horse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's it's remarkably practical. There was a point where, like, where like I was on a discussion somewhere of like, hey, give give examples of practical armor for characters on women in fiction. I'm like, saber, saber. Like saber, it's not boob armor. Um, it it's something that you can very easily fight in. Um, like if I have a complaint about with how, how she fights, it's that like how to put this clearly. And as of two thousand six, there weren't a lot of Japanese language texts about uh, historical Western martial arts, um, like medieval martial arts, and so the. Kind of like death stroke sort, like like uh, murder stroke sort of uh, sword fighting stuff that they that they would have used at the time. Don't does not show up there. Like only reason to bring that up is because they for the to go back a little bit to the berserk discussion in the um, 
Berserk uh, Studio 4 Celsius adaptation, they brought on a historical uh, medieval martial arts consultant to that show to choreograph the fight scenes. Worth noting, though, is that as ridiculous as Saber's fighting style is, because it has a lot of big swings, given that Saber is in fact King Arthur and did have a magical scabbard that protected her from getting hit, she a defensive afford... fighting style is not really something she would probably she have cultivated in life. Haymakers. Yeah. <clears throat> the character designs fit with the individual servant's fighting styles, and I've always appreciated that about fate. <laughs> yeah, like Lancer uses so many spinning movements around with his uh, spear. <sighs> Lancer, but he uses spear. <sighs> Although... So his costume's relatively form-fitting, so yeah, he can execute all these moves. Yes. Um, <laughs> Ryder is an interesting case. Because we don't see her mount for most of the show. We just see her on foot. And she moves like a spider. Like, she's always, like, tucked into corners and hanging from ceilings and, and landing with her limbs all splayed out and in a low, low, low crouch. It's just very visually interesting. Well, And it makes sense, considering that she is historically a character that is viewed in legend as monstrous and she's mm -hmm. using a monstrous uh pose for when she's fighting yeah and which is also particularly impressive considering that when you have the reveal that she's medusa that, that she has the blinders on because with the context of knowing what mystic eyes are from uh sukihime like ah she got mystic eyes of petrification and the blinders are there to protect her master and anyone who she, who the master doesn't want getting turned to stone in an in, in opportune time. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first time I saw that character, like when I was first watching the show, I was like, oh no. Like, the, this character is going to be sexualized. Luckily, no, not too much. Nope, she, she's just kind of scary. <laughs> she's just kind of scary. Like, I really appreciated that. Like... <laughs> Like, she, in this route, she had about the uh, characterization of, I want to say, like, Pyramid Head from from Silent Hill 2 of, when she's there, she is something to be scared of and run away from. Like, the most sexualized that's about her character is because of how the cut of her blouse is and the camera angles for her pose, you tend to get down the cleavage shots a lot, or... or the, the, the Spider-Man fan service problem of you're tight-fitting anything on your butt yep. when you're in the Spider-Man pose is going to emphasize your butt. Hanging no, off no matter the wall, looking down. Yeah. But you're probably not worried about that because she has, like, impaled you with a blade on a chain, right? So... Spike! <laughs> yeah. Not even a blade, it's a spike! <laughs> oh, yeah, like... Like... like, 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 like what if, 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 if you're the, if you're fighting her, like that is the least of the things for you to be paying attention to because you're gonna die. <laughs> Go die. Yeah, so super appreciate that. Shinji is the worst. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Shinji's Shinji the worst. Mato. And I spent the entire rewatch calling him Baka Shinji. Uh, <laughs> which I realized. Yeah, like, 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 and why did you call him that? Ava reference. <laughs> Shinji is consistently through the worst through the like the entire fate 
all three fate routes. Just always um, worst. Just, just <laughs> with escalating degrees of worst. As you although find out he, ha, just how the worst he becomes. But then David paused the show and told me why he's the worst. And I was like, okay, so there's like, there are reasons. I still hate his ass. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, there are, like if, when you go through all three routes, you will learn why he is that way. It doesn't make it any more forgivable, but it does, like... Even worse than the worst? Grandpa. Oh, like, grandpa. We, we, we never meet his dad. Like, the only other members of the Mato family we ever meet through the entire franchise, as far as I know, is Sister Sakura, Grandpa Zoken, which is, like, great, 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 actually, Grandpa, and then his uncle from Fate Zero. Yeah. And the Mato family just kind of sucks. And the reason Sakura doesn't suck is because she's adopted. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone born into this family is the absolute worst. So, like, how can you say that about Sakura? Oh, no, no, no. I said born in. She's adopted. She's wonderful. <laughs> but she's also traumatized by this family to a horrific extent. Let's talk about Sakura in the show for a second. Because this is one of the places where I thought that the adaptation fell down just a little bit in what they chose to include. Um, because at the beginning of the show, it seems like um, Taiga and Shiro are 100% taking advantage of this girl who just comes over to cook and clean for them every day. And she's such a doormat. And you're like, what? This is a weird relationship that's going on here. What is up with this, right? They never really explain it. They just treat it as completely normal. It becomes obvious later in the show that something is going on with Sakura, but you don't ever find out what. No. And then she gets kidnapped and used as a human sacrifice. Everyone knows that when you are kidnapped and used as a human sacrifice, you get put into a sexy human sacrifice outfit. So that's what happens. Yeah. And in this like case, it's like a sexy dominatrix human sacrifice outfit instead of the usual, like, filmy white dress. It's, well, why are you in skin-tight vinyl? Full-on. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, you're 16, so this is uncomfortable on multiple well, levels. It's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, also, I do appreciate, like, from, from what I've gathered... With Fate Stay Night, there was a thought, because at, rewind a bit, at various points, some adult visual novels have gotten localized for U.S. release. If you ever read computer gaming magazines or PC magazines in the late 90s, early 2000s, you will occasionally see ads for publishers who are, with varying degrees of success, trying to localize and translate adult visual novels to the United States. And so for this, what I understand, there were decisions made to try and put the characters at an age bracket for much of them that they would be acceptable for distributed American audience. So, like, everybody except for Sakura is a, um, is like senior in high school getting ready to go to college. In fact, there's like repeated dialogue stuff going about, hey, what are your future plans going to be? What are you going to do? Um, I like thought they we, were when, second year. <laughs> no, like, because remember when um, sh um, uh, Shiro comes home the first time and he's talking to Taiga, he's like, well, hey, you need to get your essay together for what you're going to, for what you're doing outside of college, which I believe is a senior year 
thing in Japanese high school. They're like wink, wink. Um, they're legal. <laughs> well, yeah, and like with the, 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 this ends up becoming a plot point thing uh, because then she, this leads to the oh, I just um, Taiga going. Oh, I understand you want to be in the J, uh, be a hero of justice. Here's a whole bunch of JSDF recruitment posters things, including a one that's printed on aluminum. Yeah. Which I didn't know, which when I first saw this episode in a fan sub back in the day, I didn't know was a thing that you could do. Hilariously, yes. <laughs> Bang. Why? Oh, this one's metal, right? <laughs> Limited edition. And that ends up becoming uh, a plot point when Shiro tries to use the metal poster to protect himself from Lancer. It, it He reinforces it. It works. <laughs> <laughs> tries nothing. He protects himself with a metal poster. Yep. A metal JSDF poster, which I've just realized is a, is a, is a secret pun. Yes. Anyway, though, but soccer is younger and she acts yeah. a little bit younger frankly she acts weird um it's the trauma but weird in a kind of particular to japanese femininity way where you're not sure if it's on purpose or not <laughs> like she sakura best exemplifies in the game of that particular japanese aesthetic of the yamato nadashiko of that ideal japanese wife a waifu <laughs> I think that it's a different context thing, but yeah, essentially, yes. <clears throat> Friend turned love interest supports the protagonist no matter what. God, I'm so sick of that trope. Sorry. <laughs> no, but anyway, my point being, she's actually a lot more complex and interesting than that. You just don't get any of that in that in, in this, this adaptation one. because it's not but like it's not relevant. But but the fact that they chose to not really point out any of what was going on with her makes it seem like Shiro was just taking advantage of her in the beginning, which kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, maybe he is. This is one of those times But right? then you find out that when she's over at his place, that's like the only free, normal time that she has in her life. <laughs> it just becomes tragic on a whole other level. Anywho. Yeah. Literally, we could talk about... I guess what I'm saying is I find her character problematic in the context of the adaptation alone. Like, watching it the first time with no context, I was like, I, I kind of hated her. I was like, what? Is, this is just the, the most fan service character. Like, what? what is the point of her being here? <laughs> it's important. So. Yeah. Um, although, as far as the kidnapping bondage outfit thing, I, I do notice that 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 feel like that that becomes a a, a caster thing. It's not to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, with the, yeah. Caster, with, caster with, likes dressing people up in in um, in interesting outfits. Yeah, because not to get ahead of ourselves with like an unlimited blade works route. She kidnaps Saber and dresses her up in a bridal bridal gown, a, a uh, very elaborate bridal gown with layers. And it's like, how? I mean, magic, I guess, but you just have a makeover spell. Go for it. It feels like Saber is constantly being threatened with marriage. And it becomes a whole new level of uncomfortable when you realize how badly her first marriage turned out. Yeah. In her mortal life. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Good. Uh, yeah. I want to kids with you. <laughs> nope, not again. What do you mean not again? I have a kid. <laughs> going back Cats. to character design for a brief moment, um, and how practical Saber's design was. What What were your first thoughts when Gilgamesh shows up in his blingy golden giant pauldrons? Right. Yeah. There was I, more to it than just pauldrons, but they were like, definitely. I, I, your eye was drawn. Like I, I will also say something that somebody mentioned to me earlier that I didn't realize the first time I watched this, and I should have noticed with my background in retro video games and that sort of thing. Gilgamesh's blinged out look is a Tower of Druaga reference. Really. The main character of Tower of Druaga is named Gilgamesh. Hey. And he wears, and part of this thing is getting the one of the items is to get to complete the game. To get the proper ending is to get the golden armor. Mm-hmm. So that is them referencing. So that, that speaking of the larger uh, cultural legend thing, that's the tower. Of, like that's bringing in Tower of Juraga, which is where most her- uh, viewers would know Gilgamesh from. Yeah. <laughs> or or at least most Japanese viewers at this time. American viewers would be like, oh yes, Gilgamesh from that one episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Darmok. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Picard and Dathon at El Adril. Because um, that was my first exposure to Gilgamesh as a, as a figure of, of historical legend and mythology was... Picard explaining the legend of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh and um, Enkidu. Yep. Uh, I mean, it is the oldest heroic legend. Which, which, I mean, which is, which is part of also his thing, too. Like, it's the oldest heroic legend. So, therefore, he is the most OP character. That and the fact that <clears throat> because Gilgamesh, like, predates humanity's proper understanding of reproduction, Gilgamesh, unlike every other demigod, is not half-god. He is two-thirds god, one-third human. Because his divine mother slept with a mortal man and uh, another god and sired him, and the essence is mixed. Because he predates human understanding of reproduction. Or how it exactly works. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, so Gilgamesh gets to be two-thirds god <laughs> with ancient Sumerian golden full plate. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so that's um, that, that, that is interesting. <laughs> there, there was the depiction of the character. Um, so, other bits about this. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, any favorite episodes or favorite moments of the show that we want to discuss. Um, honestly, it's hard to think of a specific one just because of uh, <laughs> the speed at which we went through it. <laughs> like, or alternatively, like um, things which stood out to you. Like One of the things, for example, that I'd completely forgotten about from the first time I watched this was the storyline... With Castor kidnapping Saber, with oh, Saber, with uh, kidnapping Sakura, that we mentioned. Like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, 
I also kind of forgot that was in this one, because, like, it just, it happens, and, uh, poor Sakura. She doesn't deserve any of the shit she gets. Um, <laughs> um, uh, honestly, uh, Ilya coming and staying with them, I, I forgot that happened in this route. I kept misremembering routes and thinking her unlimited blade works fate was what happened in this one, but no. But no, she gets to go and join the Emia household. And gets to be <laughs> and get kidnapped. <laughs> I'm she look at this delightful, precocious child. She's older than all of us. That's wrong. Like <laughs> a precocious child who, who is like, oh you should like you know what you should do? Murder <laughs> You are the worst. Really like her and Berserkers. Big Daddy Little Sister relationship, if I may use a Bioshock reference. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the bit when like um before like we got the final leading up to the final showdown with Berserker, it's like, oh yeah, uh Shinji, uh I'm I'm sorry, I I, I had Berserker kill him. I know that you would have wanted to finish him off, but I had Berserker take him out. <laughs> and and Shinji <laughs> dies ignominiously off screen as he should. <laughs> Honestly, it's kind of, that is the kindest fate that Shinji gets Everyone's in Fate's just Day like, Night. Good, good, well done. Ilya. All three well routes, done. that is the kindest one. Because <laughs> in Unlimited Blade Works, he gets to be the sacrifice for the Grail. And uh, Heaven's Feel, uh, ooh, yeah, he... Uh, I thought he didn't have magic circuit. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's just He's the human sacrifice needed. But Caster made a big deal about wanting a human sacrifice that had magic power, right? The, yeah, Caster needed it because the ritual wasn't complete. Okay. <laughs> uh, see? Uh, see? Questions. <laughs> whereas Gilgamesh and Kodamine just needed a human, and they just took Ilya because... But they really gave that whole speech about how she's basically magic circuits inhabiting the form of a person, and that made her perfect for it. Okay, the thing is, that is because Ilya, by nature, was designed to become the Grail right? as a homunculus. So I thought, yeah, that's why they kidnapped her specifically. I didn't realize they could have just used anybody off the street. I, I mean, for Ilya for the to... human life part, they could have used anyone off the street. They I mean, still needed Il... the appropriate vessel. I, Ilya works best, but also, like, in... We're, 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 we're jumping the timeline a little bit here. Um, but like Ilya is less available to as, as a sacrifice in the Unlimited Blade Works round. I'll just, we'll just say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Thank you, Gilgi. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> Man, I uh, forgot how absolutely unhinged he was in this one. Because I kind of default to him from Fate Zero when I think about him. Where he gets his actual characterization. Yeah, before he gets cuckoo crazied by the Grail. <laughs> yeah, here he's like cuckoo crazy by the Grail, and also kind of just just a stalker of just of a saber. creepy stalker. <laughs> At, yeah. Uh, worth noting. Uh, did you watch this with the dub or the sub? I so I watched this subbed, but I was paying attention to the credits and saw that we have two critters. On the cast, yeah, we have we have um, Sam Regal and as uh, Shiro and Liam O'Brien as Archer. 
<laughs> genuine in real life best friends playing different versions of the same person. It's true, I thought their scenes were good. Uh, <laughs> and frankly, like the dub cast did a really good job. I really only quibble with Gilgamesh's casting. Like, I think the voice actor did a fine job. I just don't think that was the right voice for the character. Yeah. Gilgamesh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a lot more forgivable because he is in so little of this yeah. uh, adaptation. He sounds too young. And like, too even young. as the like, <laughs> young, heroic Gilgamesh, which is what this summon is supposed to be, he sounds a little immature. Partially because of his weird stalkerish behavior, but yeah, no, I was out of the first time he talked, I was like, "That's not his voice, is it?" <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the voice actor, again, they did a fine job. I just, it didn't match my expectation. Insufficient gravitas. Yeah, maybe. Uh, they don't really yeah. explain much about Gilgamesh in this route at all, though. That's like, yeah. We cause... figure out who he is and why he's there because that's it. We don't. We don't learn like. Why he's so OP and what I, I was really unclear actually on what his goals were. It was kind of just like Saber? Was was that it? He didn't care about the Grail at all? It was unclear to me. Oh I I'm just doing a bit of checking. This was not the last time we'll be encountering critters on the dubcast, I will say that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Um, it's a real treat we, to get to hear Sam Regal do a, a main character, because uh, he does great. <laughs> a main non-turtle character. <laughs> because well, here's the thing though, I've listened to almost all of Critical Role. I'm very familiar with Sam Regal's voice and you know the roles that he's done in other media. But watching the show, I was just thinking of Shiro Ashiro. There was only like the very occasional moment where it was like, oh, it's Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, like I, when I play, um, when I'm playing Final Fantasy fourteen, like in the Realm Reborn period, Sam Regal is the voice of Alphanod, and, um, and it, it it is to a certain degree, um, Sam Regal doing his himbo voice that he does for, um, in the Vox Machina campaign, for, um, um, ah. Uh, Scanlan? Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, for Scanlan. Where, like, and so, like, he, he's not as aggressively sexual, obviously, with Alpha Node, but he's still, like, this character is kind of a self-important, kind of hit, a bit of a himbo in um, Final Fantasy fourteen. whereas for this, it, again, Shiro is a character who has had a like a lot of these characters are ones who've had gone through lots of trauma and having to go through coping with it over the course of this series with varying degrees of success or not. Um, there's other things to talk about. Um, so again, we talked about this, how this started out as the Fate Stay Night started out as a adult game. Um, so there's the two ways they try the um, handle excising the sex scenes one that works which is basically the sex scene probably hap like, happened but we just faded to black which is the one that happens later and then there's when they're trying to restock sabers mana now this was awkward the... right 
Uh, mana circuit transfer, which involved, you know, a journey inside the self where, where Shiro confronts uh, the dragon within Saber, because she is Arthur Pendragon. They have dragon blood. And it bites off one of his arms. There was just that really cringe line where he was like, where's Saber? Am I inside her? <laughs> and it was like, oh dear. Uh, I see what you're trying to do, but come on. <laughs> you know what's funny, though? The first time I watched this show when I was going in clean, it just blipped right by me that anything sexual was happening at all. I was just like, oh, everyone's acting really weird about this. Okay. <laughs> Like, like, I don't the, know the if bit... I was just a sweet summer child that year or what. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the first time I watched this, like I, I watched this particular episode. Well, that, that particular episode, like I had some knowledge that this had been an adult game, and I was like, oh, like, oh, we have to get you flustered, and I'm like, no, you're recreating some of the art from the lead up to the sex scene from the game, but you can't show the actual sex scene. Yeah. Also worth <laughs> worth noting is that this the original uh, fan uh, sub of this way back when uh, was unfortunately incredibly meme worthy because Ashira will tell you people die when they are killed. People die yeah. when they're killed. <laughs> yeah, which is not Life the line in the, in the official translation. No, like, it, it sort of gets that, you know, people are supposed to stay dead when you kill them. Uh, and, and, and it's in response to the fact that over the course of the series, Shiro takes a spectacular amount of punishment. Um, the man, the it, man it, just absorbs an unholy amount of fatal wounds. Like... It, it's actually, and there's like, a reason it, for it, which I really appreciate, because I yeah, thought it, it was it, just protagonist plot armor the first time. Like, it, <laughs> it, is, it is well spelled out, and I appreciate over the course of the adaptations, the injuries get more and more gruesome. Where, like, this one, it's just like, he's like, cleave, there's a whole bunch of blood and that sort of thing. And again, to jump the timeline a little bit, by the time we get to um, the Heaven's Feel movie, it's like, oh, this isn't a movie. This this is a movie theater. It's not on television. We're just going to have Shiro nearly cleaved in half with, sure. like, his gut spilling out. <laughs> yeah, when he first gets hit by Gilgamesh in the visual novel, explicitly, it rips out his stomach and all of his organs. And everyone's like, no, he's dead. And you go into it thinking, oh, shit, that was the wrong call. Because it's right after you make a decision, so you think it's just one of the bad ends that you get. And it, you know, goes to white, and I'm like, it goes, okay. And then he wakes up, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're not dead? <laughs> what? <laughs> How? What? <laughs> let's keep going. Yeah, let's find out. The answer, ladies and like, gentlemen, like, is We're magic. at, like, Deadpool 2 level regeneration here. Or, or, Deadpool, <laughs> or Deadpool, like, jumps in a bunch of, a bunch of explosives, sets them off. And then yeah. Glasses is like, well, stuff the bits in the bag, take him back to the Xavier Institute. <laughs> the horrifying leg regrowth. Uh, there were a couple there were a couple moments in the show where the wounds like seemed to disappear between between Shots. scenes. I don't know if those were accidents or deliberate. Uh, it's like, well, you still lost the blood, right? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is to a certain degree a this is a Studio Dean thing. At Studio Dean, sometimes you get um, Shoa Rakugo uh, Shinju Studio Dean, where it's like fine detail, really good nuanced animation, and that sort of thing. Um, sometimes, like, 
Like, this is the Dean which I equate with, like, the second and third seasons of uh, Log Horizon, where it's like, they do the action okay, they do some of the character bits okay, but sometimes things just, like, they just find a rake to step on um, in terms of the animation quality. And the thing just kind of stumble. Um, and maybe it's because they're getting rushed for hitting deadline, for getting things ready for broadcast. Um, Having watched Shirobako, I now feel a much more nuanced understanding of how this could take place. Yeah, or, or like, like, some, like, sometimes, do you, Dean, like, we like they plan things out. We've got a director and, produ- like, and production assistants who've got everything figured out and got all, and everything's on point and got their stuff together. And sometimes something behind the, th- the scenes went wrong and um, it ends up showing up on screen. Like, which is a shame because like, if you lo- I'm looking at the, a- at the credits for this at ANN and like, you have like some significantly big names on here some who are well established in their careers and some are like fairly new. Like this is like script writing. This is early in Mario Kata's career as a writer. Um, music wise, we have Kenshi Kawaii, you know, Kawaii, you know, the ghost in the shell guy. Yeah, um, music's pretty great. Music's fantastic. That, yeah, that it, one, it, like, is it a Celesta? That one bit that starts the, the whole music thing off and goes, duh, duh. They they might have overused that cue a few too many times, but it's still so effective. Like it's really good music. (laughs) Yeah, like (laughs) sorry, continue. It has it has a good sense here of like Kenji Kawai is like not phoning it in. He's doing a really good job with the music, but there's also a sense for like some of the cues where it's like maybe like. Oftentimes, anime television series will have to reuse cues, um, but like maybe they weren't able to get enough music as they as they wanted, or they or they didn't get put requested too much music and wasn't able to get stuff by deadline, so they had to reuse cues. Um, there's a few bits where it's like Kenji Kawai has a very very good. Or I I can hear it go. That is a very high quality synthesizer that Kenji Kawai is using right now. Compared to other works where it's like, we have the budget to hire an orchestra. <laughs> yep, yep. Um and like the, the, this is more of the like use the good keyboard, please, Kenji. <laughs> 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 or we will pay for you to buy the new ca- the newest um uh synthesizer um on the market for this. That sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, worth noting is that the first opening, uh, first opening for this is a remix of the opening to the visual novel. Uh, the visual novel uh, is called This Illusion, whereas the remix for this show is Disillusion. And that amuses me because they sound similar but mean the opposite. It, there's this one point, like, the, the music really generally goes for this very interesting, like, mysterious vibe um, that plays a lot into the drama that's happening. So when they do suddenly switch over to, like, slice-of-life-style, lighter-hearted moments, like, I'm thinking particularly of the last episode, it starts playing this really stereotypical, light-hearted background music, 
as normal life resumes. And it just feels wrong. Like, it, it feels out of place to me. Um, even though this was, like, the triumphant, happy ending, I was like, this, 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 I feel like they were going to fake me out, you know? Like, <laughs> it just didn't fit the vibe when they tried to go all happy and normal with the music. That could have just been me, though. Um, one thing I, I, I noticed as I realized partway through, it's a minor bummer, like casting wise. Um, so we do get a line from Mordred, mm -hmm. um, just in the line. show, <laughs> just one line. So I checked to see, Hey, did they bring the, normally all these other actors have come back for, for, for some major roles have come back for every other versions of these characters. Um, Kanaweda has been every version of Rin. And then when they did the, uh, absolute frontier Babylonia, because um, the uh, goddesses of uh, Ishtar and Ereshkigal and Ereshkigal are Rin faces in the game. Um, they brought her for both of those characters, and so like, oh, like we have a dub here for a voice from Mordred because Mordred shows up in Fate of um, Apocrypha. Like, did they bring her back? Sadly, they did not. They brought a different actor. They recast the role. It's like minor bummer, but not, it would have been nice. That's because Mordred in this is very much a prototype of what Mordred would become. Yeah. Like, it like, was it, literally Mordred at the end of theirs and Arthur's life. Yeah. So, you know, as someone who grew up on Arthurian mythos, but who has not looked into the fate version of such at all... I did find some of Saber's backstory elements that they included in the show a little a little bit confusing. Like, King Arthur being a woman, no problem. Totally fine with that. Um, <laughs> but then, like, to explicitly state, yes, she married Guinevere, and, they, and Mordred is her son. I was like... Sort of. <laughs> yes. I was like, was magic involved? And David gives me this whole long, complicated explanation. The short answer is yes, you guys. Magic was involved. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Just going Saber along with was it. turned into a man, and then her half sister. We don't need to know. Just, it, it's it's magic. I, I mean, I, I, like Saber was turned into a man, and then things proceeded as according to Mallory. <laughs> Ish, but yeah. Um, I remember the first time I was watching this, I hadn't looked into any Arthurian stuff in a long time, and I was racking my brain like, why does she think she's such a failure? Like, it's not like the Britons did too badly. But, right? But <laughs> Except it, they, it immediately fragmented back into the multiple kingdoms it was before they united Britain. To put it another way, is Camelot fell. It, it is like... Is, is that that's the failure? Is, is Camelot fell ultimately? Mm. Camelot could not last, and that that that's the failure. And whose fault um, is that? Lancelot. It is Lancelot's fault, which is why you should always blame the French for the fall of Camelot, <laughs> because he is a French addition to the story. <laughs> beautiful British perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, oh, but oh. the Britons—that was Wales, actually, right? Yes, Welsh? that's the thing. Arthur is actually a Welsh, Welsh right? legend. <laughs> Yeah, because yep. the Britons are Welsh. Okay. Then. Yep. And also, like having Saber Arturia be female also does put an interesting, like, fun spin 
on the Lancelot Guinevere thing is is like to 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 the public uh, Arthur is uh is a guy but Arthur isn't and Guinevere's got needs <laughs> yeah, not only just like it wasn't just that you know can't please you as a fellow can it was Arthur was so inhuman as a king. Saber yeah. Arthur was inhuman as a king. Like that was the problem is they were viewed as this perfect ideal of kingship, but you can't be perfect and human. So. Yeah. I think that if the if the series hadn't started out as an erotic visual novel, I really think that there would be room for interpretations of Saber as an asexual character, or even maybe an intersex character. Um, obviously, I don't think that's true or canonical, which I think that's actually kind of a pity for me. I actually think she might be more interesting as, as an asexual character. Oh, she was very... Er, <laughs> as a king, they were very asexual. Yeah. But... Uh introduction of the of the visual novel like no we, we got even with here it's like no we have we have a, a romance a clear romance between uh shiro and saber yeah um because even if we take this the sex out of it it's expected to have the romance in the story um because it's that because even if it's not a visual novel it is to a certain degree also a bishojo game and so you're it's which of the Beautiful girls, are you are you romancing? Right. I mean, well, just because she's asexual doesn't mean she would necessarily have to be aromantic. Okay. Yeah, but I think that's a level of nuance that we can safely say that most erotic visual novels are not engaging in. <laughs> Having not read most erotic visual novels, I can't say that with certainty. Given their explicit, like... But I will trust purpose. you. <laughs> I mean, even with the non-erotic visual novels that I've read, like with um, Utawari Ramono, um, which, yes, the first one was... was was smut, but like the sequels weren't. Um, and the sequels were the ones we got here first. Um, those like, again, are um, there, there, there's no sex scenes in those, but there is a very heavy And also they're not, there isn't separate routes, but there's a very heavy romance element to it. There's not, it doesn't really find the space to have characters who are of like, attractive female characters, Bishojo, who also are ace and and have them in the story. Um so yeah, uh, that that is something which I think that a lot of anime and manga like don't really get into that much. Or, or, or manga there are manga which have asexual about asexual characters and asexual people, but oftentimes those also don't get adapted into um anime. Right. Um, often. Think things are better than they were a couple decades ago, but there's always room for improvement <laughs> in representation and, and this kind of understanding. <laughs> like, there are like, there are a few shows which I've seen, and I'm spacing the names of shows and movies that I've seen, and I'm spacing the names of them, where like, oh, I can click, or like, they state or strongly imply that a character, oh, um, Spy Classroom. The handler for the for the group of female main characters is explicitly stated as being ace. It says in outright that he is asexual. Nice. Now, this doesn't mean that the 
um, cute girl spies in his uh, that, he, that are part of his team that he he operates don't have crushes on him, but he has no romantic interest interest in or romantic or sexual interest in them whatsoever. Uh, and he explicitly states this as such multiple times. So, all right. Uh, unfortunately, but, we are going to have to close it up, which is yeah. sad because. I can keep talking about fate for a couple more fortunately, hours. He would. Fortunately, we will. We will. This is not the last time we will talk about fate. To go to state out in the right our plans for the future for Fateuary. Next year, we will be discussing the um, Aniplex Unlimited Blade Works television series. Uh, we may, in passing, discuss the Studio Dean film version. Just to kind. Of be, did just, Studio Dean do the movie? Yes, I thought they. Studio thought Dean did do a movie. No, Studio Dean, before UFO Table did the television series, Studio Dean did a film version, um, which it tries to adapt the entire Unlimited Blade Works plot, which, much as with the Fate Route, they adapted over, and UFO Table adapted for 24 or 26 episodes. And UFO, and Dean tries to adapt it in two hours. Interesting. And if, <laughs> it's and fighting. If he, it's just fighting. It's fight yeah. scenes. Yeah, like, if you thought, like, if you thought that... We watched um, it. You were so confused. Yeah. If, if, Suke, if you thought Tsukihime had problems with ten pound, with 100 pounds of pot in a one-pound bag, um, just wait. <laughs> that, that movie's definitely going to have that problem there. Uh, and then the following year, the following year, so that's two years down the line, we will be discussing the Heaven's Feel movie. No, sorry. Um, back up a bit. Fate Zero next year, then Unlimited Ooh. Blade Works. Because you need to see Fate Zero before you watch Unlimited Blade Works, as we discussed earlier, and then Heaven's Feel. Yeah, um, it's and be then a build-up. Yeah, it, it, prepare it is for going a build-up of lore. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is going to be a build-up. And we also um, have our various Nasu Vembers. Yeah, and we have our Nasu Vembers, and I will say up front for um, while we're going to be doing for Nasu for this year's Nasu Vember, we'll be covering some of Garden of Sinners. Nasu has worked on things that are not part of the Nasuverse, um, so we may discuss. So we will be, depending on availability of materials, we will be discussing some of those as well. Yeah. Um. So, as someone who went into the series cold, I'm going to give this adaptation like a solid B plus. You know, it maybe even an A, not an A plus, but an A, because it got me interested for sure. And um, it stands pretty well by itself. Like I have a lot, I have quibbles about some of the things they choose to include, some of the things they chose to exclude. That very awkward mana transfer scene. <laughs> That's what the kids are calling it these days. But in general, it's, pr it's very good as an adaptation. And I think it, like in terms of getting into the Fate universe, unless you have access and the inclination to actually do the visual novel, this is probably the best it's going to get, you know? Uh, <laughs> yep. Just, I agree. Just <laughs> noting the visual novel is not that long. It is only about more the... It, 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 it's longer than The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With appendices. <laughs> That, that doesn't phase that doesn't me, but I know some of y'all out there prefer your audiobooks and, you know, your shows, and that is 100% valid, yep. so I'm happy but, that this exists, yep. and that it well, The is good news decent. is, like, if, <laughs> with with the game, to, to, to briefly sum up, uh, wrap up the Fate side of things, mm -hmm. uh, before we announce next month's show, is that the game is on 
is going to be released on Switch, yes. Nintendo Switch and Steam, and which means it will likely be Steam Deck compatible, which is probably the best way to play this, I'm going to say, um, is on a Switch or a Steam Deck where you can sit in a comfortable chair. Rather, I mean, not to say that your computer chair isn't comfortable, rather than reading off your computer monitor. To quickly wrap up, since we all have places to go, um, next month's show for White Day, last last month we did, or last year we did a um, uh, shonen, um, seinen romance series with um, My Joseph Darling. This year we're going to do kind of a something on the shoujo, yosei side of things with uh, Loving Yamada-kun at level 999. Or sorry, my love story with Yamada-kun at level 999. This series is currently available for streaming on Crunchyroll. It's much as with My Dress Up Darling, a nice short 13 episodes. And it ha and also like My Dress Up Darling, it has a dub. I'm excited to watch it. Yes. <clears throat> I just, you know, I'm so happy that all of my weird interests have somehow become genres these days. Uh, <laughs> all of the wonderful female mangaka whose shows are getting turned into, or whose series are getting turned into shows like Free Run and stuff. Delicious in Dungeon, I am target audience. I am into D&D &D and cooking. It's it's mine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like I'm in an era of of people catering to me, and I'm into it. <laughs> all, right. all right. So um, that's that for this month and we will catch you next time yeah. uh, if you enjoyed the show please consider backing the patreon at patreon.com slash count zero or and rate and review the podcast on your podcatching platform of choice it helps people find the show happy um, year of the dragon everybody yep see you or hear you or you'll hear us next month <laughs> bye bye